Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. Even though it took a toll, you see, I'm still not done. I wouldn't do it any differently because I have to live with myself. I have to live with myself, but yeah, I, I, it took a toll. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm a CASA volunteer, a court-appointed special advocate for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know it's a mouthful. In the same way a CASA works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Hi, I'm here with Lori Nelson. Hi, Lori. Hi. Now, I know that... um, you're feeling a little bit shy about doing this. So can you tell me about that just to make you even more shy? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I have never really been good about talking about me because as far as I'm always seeing things, it's like, I'm just me. Okay. So I, I've never really felt that I was doing anything extraordinary or super significant because I think what I've always done is just who I am, my personality, which is I like to help. Uh, my mother used to tease me when I was a kid and say, Lori would always bring home the stray dogs and cats because she felt that they needed a home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I just always wanted to um, try to make a difference if I could, if I was able to. And so I think that's what people should do if they can, if they're in a the position to do so. I feel uncomfortable talking about that because I'm like, is that special? Is that different? I think that that's just what what I think a lot of people should do if they're in the position to do so. Right. Well, you know, the truth is most people don't, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from what I've heard, you are really an extraordinary individual. And so I want people to hear about that. Um, Well, I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) I'm glad to know that some people think that I am. Just as much as I have touched their lives, that they feel that I've been an important aspect in their lives, they've been important in mine too. Right. So tell me about yourself. Who who are you? Where are you from? How are you? Um, I'm from Los Angeles originally. I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, Get out. There's only two people that were born in LA. <laughs> <laughs> You're not one of them. I know. <laughs> I was born in LA at Queen of Angels <laughs> Hospital. That hospital is named something else now, but... Uh, Yeah, I'm the daughter of uh, parents that had six kids. Uh, I'm the youngest. And so um, I've always been different uh, from my siblings. I was always trying to be as good as them or, you know, equal to them. They were the smartest. They were the ones that uh, succeeded in in a lot of different things. I totally get that because I'm the baby girl in my family. Okay. I have a baby brother, but he acts like he's older than me, so... (laughs) Uh, 
so I, I, I felt I had spent my whole childhood just trying to catch up with my exactly, older siblings. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Always trying to measure up, catch up, be as good, you know, uh, with teachers and things. You know, it's like they had them first. So the teachers even looked at me like, well, you know, I know that you're, you're uh, so-and-so's sister, you know, so, you know, you need to be like so-and-so. And I'm like, but I'm not like so-and-so. I'm me, you know. I was more um, geared towards the arts and um, poetry and English and things like that, where my siblings were geared towards uh, education and science and stuff like that. And and I really couldn't stand it. (laughs) I didn't like science and stuff like that. I did it, but I didn't like it. So So I got married and, and I had three wonderful children. Right. So you first worked with victims of domestic violence, right? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I worked with um, domestic violence victims. I am a survivor. I'm a survivor. I see. So I I had a love for for wanting to help because I, you know, went to a um, domestic violence shelter with my kids when they were really little. I kind of felt the bug at that point. You know, I wanted to help you know, and help women to realize that there's life after and they can do it, you know, even though they might be scared, you know. So that was my first um, job like that. Right. And then you ended up working with kids in particular, right? Yeah. Kids um, and different foster family agencies, you know. Uh, um, I stopped working for the domestic violence shelter because, I guess, um, philosophy uh, with one of the... uh, managers and they kind of felt like I was trying to tell the women how to be like me and you know that I wanted them to be like me and I you know I disagreed and I just said no um I don't I want them to be like them but I want them to know there's other options and and there's things that they can do and choices and you know I just wanted to empower them to do whatever they felt they needed to do so I ended up leaving the domestic violence shelter because of that so I went to the uh foster care agencies from that point. So I I worked at three different foster family agencies from that point. Yeah. So what was your work like? Uh, What did you do with the kids? I was a case manager, social worker for um, about three different foster family agencies. I worked for Walden Environment. I enjoyed working for Walden Environment a lot. I would probably have to say that that's one of the agencies that I didn't have any issues with. They were, you know, it was a good agency, a good foster family agency. They had good social workers. They had good uh, supervisors. Um, I really feel like they believed in what they were doing. They had good uh, therapists there. Yeah. Wait, so how was how that? So, so that's a private agency. So mm-hmm. how is that different from DCFS? Well, it was smaller. Um, they had group homes. They, they had uh, foster families as well as group homes that they, let's see, I was a group home. Uh, social worker. I see. Right. So your first experience of working with kids was working with them in group homes? Yes. Mm -hmm. In the group homes. Wow. That must have been quite a... That was interesting. It was very interesting. Um, I had girls initially. They were the same age as uh, my oldest daughter. Some of them even went to the same high school as uh, my, my first two kids. And that was a challenge 
not initially, but after um, they got to know who my kids were, and God only knows how they found out who my kids were, they would want to follow them home. And they would want to come and spend time at my house, which I didn't uh, have a problem with. However, that's against agency rules. And so I had to uh, let the kids know, I'm sorry, you know, they'd want to, and some even ran away. They would run away to my house. And that's definitely a no-no, you know, but that just lets me know how comfortable they felt confiding in me and coming to me about issues that were going on in the group homes. Okay. But I would have to call my supervisor and let her know. And she would either come and get them (laughs) and take them back. Or um, one particular time she asked me if one, one girl could spend the night and then she would come and get her in the morning. I said, okay, but that ended up being um, a mistake, but nothing happened. Thank God. She was a little sexualized. And so she liked my son. Ah. And so you know how you have this feeling in the middle of the night, you have this feeling. And so she was supposed to be sleeping on the couch. And I woke up and I realized she was not on the couch and she was in my son's room and and just in in the nick of time, (laughs) you know, and I said, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, and, and I told her, you know, to go back to bed on the couch and not to do that. I said, no, 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 this cannot happen. This cannot happen on my watch. So I slept on the other couch watching her. <laughs> Making sure she didn't leave the couch. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. But so, I, I mean, I, I went through a lot of different things. I got very close to the youth, very close to some of them. You know, some of them were tough nuts to crack, you know, because they they were guarded. They didn't want to let you in at first. You know, they didn't want to talk to you. It's like, well, why are you different? You know, they would just say it. You know, they just said how they felt. Why are you different? You know, I don't want to have to tell the same thing to another social worker. Right, telling you know? their same story over and over again. Right, right, over and over, you know, and I said, I understand. I, I get it. You know, this must be very difficult for you, depending on how many places you've been. You know, and I just told him, you know, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance and let me tell you a little bit about me, you know, and why I want to do this, you know, and, and I want to get to know you. So they would let their guard down. Some of them too much, like I say, to the point to where they would follow my kids home or want to run away from home and things like that. But How did you meet Venus Manuel? Of course, you know, she says about you that you're one of the good ones. You're one of the good social workers. So, uh, Well, I met her at DCFS. You know, she was one of the kids on my caseload. And she um, actually, I wanted her and her sister, but I only was um, given her on my caseload. Yeah, she was a little guarded at first, not mean or anything, but she was a little guarded. She kind of felt also like, why do I, you know, have to tell my story again, you know, to you? And why, you know, why are you different? And I don't think it's going to work. You know, you can try. She would say things like, you can try, but I don't think it's going to work. That was initially uh, after working with her for a while. She was a go-getter. You know, I was like, oh, my God, this girl, she has so much heart and so much love. She had a hard time at home, really hard time at home. You know, it was very tumultuous between she and her mother. You know, I talked to her mother a lot and I was like, oh, my God, you know, I felt like I really had my work cut out for me if she was going to stay in that house. Because I felt like everything I was trying to do and everything that Venus was trying to do was being sabotaged, unfortunately, from her mother. And and that's not a put down to her mother, but it's just that I don't feel that she realized how much she was really sabotaging her own daughter. And so eventually, um, you know, she had to be removed from that house because it just was not healthy for her. It was not healthy. 
So she needed to be placed elsewhere. So I, you know, I was her social worker. Right. So when you had, when you handled her case, um, and she says, by the way, that you're the first one who actually saw her as a person and not just a case file. Oh, okay. Well, I, I appreciate that, that she says that, you know, she was the case file. You know, none of the kids, and I keep saying caseload because that's what they called it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and how many kids did you have at one time? We had 30 kids. We had 30 kids. And so we had to see each of them every month. That was a challenge. But uh, yeah, that's what we had to do. So I had 30. Right. And mm-hmm. also, I, I just know this from the um, some of the caseworkers I've worked with that the um even hopefully you have 30 cases i know often many of them have have many many more it's more absolutely so that's the minimum right and Mm -hmm. even that is a pretty overwhelming number right absolutely absolutely you know you figure you have 28 to 30 days maybe 31 you know in the month but they're not all work days you know you have weekends and so you really need to get to see all of them and touch bases and not just a five-minute thing, you know, to make sure that they're okay. Uh, right, and you're not just seeing them, right? You're writing reports. You're talking Absolutely. to the, the people in their lives. You're, you're, right. you're arranging for services. Exactly. Resources, services, dental appointments, doctor appointments, school officials, you know, teachers, the whole gamut. You know, you're trying to see everybody who's involved with this child's life, you know, to make sure that everybody, not just me, but everybody is doing everything possible to make sure that this kid succeeds, you know, and that's, that's not easy to do, you know, that's not easy. Oh, and I can imagine that the work must be pretty heartbreaking sometimes. It is. Oh my God, it is. You know, when they cry, you know, when they would cry, I would cry. You know, I know a lot of social workers are, you know, I'm not really that different. There's some, there's a lot of social workers that are like me. They cry too, you know, but I do feel like it's hard to compartmentalize your feelings when you see that they're unhappy or that they're being hurt in some way or neglected. And so it was very difficult for me to compartmentalize those things. Uh, one time my kids, um, they called a powwow for me, you know, and said, mom, you're spending way too much time with these kids. You're spending more time with these kids than you're spending with us. And I had to really um, take that into consideration, you know, because, you know, I felt like my kids were okay. So, you know, I felt like I, if emergencies popped up or things like that with the, my kids on the caseload, then I would just take the time to do it. But I, I had to try to balance it. And that's a hard thing to do, too, if you have, if you have kids, you know. Um, I can only imagine what it would have been like if I had had a husband, because that, that probably would not have been... He probably would not have liked that either, you know. But, um, yeah, it it was a challenge. Right, so Venus is one of the successes. And so can you tell me about some of the other kids that, who you worked with? Well, there was a uh, young man that I'm still in contact with today. He was one of the guarded ones as well. He, you know, he didn't want to tell his story over and over again. He had a brother. He and his brother were, um, they were both good kids, but... You know, Brian went one way, his brother went another way. Brian chose to not be a statistic, shall I say, and he went into the military. But it was a challenge for him because his mother, you know, she she was an addict and um, she would try to play him, he and his brother, but mostly him, try to get money from him because he worked. You know, he worked while he was in foster care and 
he was just another go-getter. You know, he was pretty good in school. He worked. I think the group home foster uh, father was, you know, really fond of him as well. And he really tried his hardest to make sure that all the kids succeeded at his at his group home. But Brian, um, he struggled with that. His mother would try to get money from him and he would feel compelled to give her money, you know, because she would give him sad stories, you know, and we would have to talk to him and try to let him know that I know you want to help her, but she's um, not going to use that money for a good use, you know. So that took a little time for him to break that uh, habit of trying to help. His brother also tried to play him that way. His brother was older and he would try to get money from him a lot of times to do things that weren't right. But um, Brian succeeded. He graduated. He went into the military. That's what he really wanted to do. And he's still in the military. He's making a... um, career out of it. And he would call me from time to time. Sometimes he would come and visit. I'd be so happy. I'd be shocked out of my mind that he would want to come and visit, you know. But um, yeah, uh, every now and then he still, he'll still give me a call and he's still in touch with my daughter. They went to the same high school. So <laughs> he's still in touch with her as well. Yeah. He's one of the ones that I wished I could bring home. Yeah. That he, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And he's made a successful career out of the military. And what about some of the kids that, that you weren't able to help? Hi, those are the heartbreaks. Some of them still bother me to this day. One of them, her name was Ada. And um, she had a beautiful two-year-old little girl. Oh, my God. She was just gorgeous. And uh, Ada was very sexualized, you know, uh, the confidence or shall I say false confidence that some of these young ladies have about themselves, you know, and their um, bodies and things like that. You know, it was it was just it was a challenge, you know, because she just kind of felt like uh, she could get everything she wanted from giving her body, you know, and having sex. And she had this beautiful two year year old little girl uh, as a result of that. And, um, it, she was, she was a hard one to try to guide, to try to guide because these kids, they had, they had a lot of freedom. They had freedom that they had never had before. They were given their own apartments and. Uh, right. So these are kids in Tay in, uh, Transitional housing, transitional housing, transitional age youth. Yeah. Can you explain that to me? So for the listeners that don't know what Tay is. Yeah. Transitional age youth, um, It's where the kids are almost ready to age out of foster care and out of the system, okay? And most of those kids, if they did not go into uh, transitional age youth programs, they would be, they wouldn't have anywhere to go. They'd be on the streets. They'd be homeless, you know, and God only knows. So these kids had an opportunity to stay in the system for four more years from 18 to 22. And they were given their own apartments that were totally furnished, they, they were given everything, you know, um, they were given food stipends, they were given clothing stipends, they were given everything. Right. And what are the requirements for them to stay in it? Because there are some, right? Yeah, they, they need to, if they have not graduated from high school, they need to stay in high school until they graduate. If they had already graduated, they need to at least be going to college part time and they need to be working at least part time. Um, some of them... Um, just wanted to work full time. And that was okay as long as they had graduated from high school. They had curfews, you know, and they also needed to save half of their earnings from working. Okay. So we, 
saved half of their earnings and, you know, we didn't we didn't keep it. You know, this was for them for when they actually reached the end of the program. So um, if they had um, given us half of their earnings at the end of the, you know, 22, you know, and, and they were stable, then all that money was given back to them. Right. Is it hard for the kids to stay in the program? It's hard for a lot of the kids to stay in the program because this is freedom that they had never experienced before. Okay. Um, it seems like, you know, I kept thinking, oh my God, if I had been given an apartment and I didn't have to pay rent, I mean, you do not even have to pay rent. You don't pay your utilities. You don't even buy your own food. You get a stipend for that. You get a stipend for your clothing still. Oh my God. And then you're given, you know, two to four years where you can save your own money and stuff. So really, basically you are not, as a youth in these programs, you're not really paying for anything unless you want to pay for your own stuff. We didn't pay for their phones, so they, they had to pay for things like that. Um, they had to save up to uh, get transportation. Otherwise, you know, they would use tokens and, and things like that. But this was freedom for a lot of them that they had not had before. So they kind of went crazy, you know. Right, so it's freedom with also temptation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so they had a curfew where they would have to be in by 10, if they wanted to go somewhere on the weekends, they uh, needed to ask, you know, they needed to get permission beforehand, you know, and then they needed to be back uh, on Sunday by a certain period of time. You know, a lot of them, you know, they got a taste of that freedom and they just, you know, didn't want to follow the rules. They didn't want to follow the rules. Some of them, you know, they would be in at 10 o'clock, but they would be sneaking company in, you know, the girls were trying to hide boys in the closet and things like that. And I would do um, drop in visits for that very reason. And that's why my kids were saying, oh, you've been about time with those kids and you are with us, you know. But I would have to go by there, you know, after 10 to see, you know, hey, what's going on here? You know, uh, you got to go. Who's in the closet? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. They weren't allowed to smoke in the house, you know. And, you know, you could see, you could see clearly they were having parties and there were cigarette butts and, you know, there was alcohol bottles and things like that left, you know. So I would have to be tough, you know, and tell them, you know, you guys, hey, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. You're going to jeopardize, you know, your being able to stay in the program. Some of them listened. Some didn't. But one um, one situation with the very highly sexualized young lady who had the two-year-old and she had uh, another roommate, what had happened was, this, and this is very painful for me to talk about. This is some of the flaws in the system. One of my supervisors wanted, okay, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but he had a significant other that was um, working, but he wasn't a social worker. I guess he was sort of like um, a trainee. And so he wanted his significant other to you know, learn the system and and different things and learn how things work. So this young man went out to visit these two young ladies on my caseload. Well, according to them and allegedly, and, and I say allegedly because this is what they told me, but my job as a social worker is to believe my clients, believe my kids. Okay. I didn't feel they had any reason to lie. In fact, I know in my heart, they weren't lying. They weren't, but they said that he was making passes at them and saying things that were very inappropriate about their sex life and things like that. And if they were on birth control and things like that, and I'm like, that is not appropriate. You know, that's not appropriate. They felt very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. So what I did was I told my immediate supervisor, 
And um, he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, that is not good. Well, the, the supervisor that had the significant other was my supervisor's supervisor. Okay. I see. Mm-hmm. So he said, so I told him, I said, what, what, you know, what should I do? You know, and he said, we have to report it. You know, we have to report. He said, you have to make a report. And I said, okay. He said, if we don't make a report about this, then we'll be in trouble. It, it could blow up and, and it will be in trouble. And so I said, okay, well, I'm trusting my supervisor. He's trusting the system. And that's exactly what I did. I did a report about it. And um, his supervisor went ballistic. And keep in mind, that was his significant other that came out. And so he went ballistic and he, uh, he didn't believe me. He said I was lying. And, uh, you know, my, su- my supervisor was just shocked. You know, he said, whoa, you know, he said, I know this woman. She, you know, she's a good, she's a good worker. She would not lie about something like this. Why would anybody lie about something like that? That's crazy. But anyway, long story short, it didn't turn out well. Uh, I ended up getting terminated because he said I lied. He said I was lying. And, and, you know, what happened was the young ladies would have been my witnesses. However, he intimidated the one with the little girl and threatened to take her daughter from her. That's the ugly side of the system. You know, it's like, dear God, really? Yeah, he threatened that he would take her little girl from her. So she ran away. You know, I would have run away too. You threatened to take my kid from me. She ran away. And the other young lady, they threatened her with something, but uh, they both ran away. And and the other one who ran away, she told me, she said, oh my God, she said, Miss Nelson, she said, oh no, we had to go. We had to go because they threatened, they threatened us, you know? So that grieves me. That grieves me a lot. Right, so you didn't have so you didn't have any support then. You had no corroborating witnesses. No, um, no, the witnesses they fled, and uh, my supervisor, although he fought for me, you know, it was like his supervisor alleged that I lied, and um, but I I tried to fight it. The only good thing that came out of that was that he was demoted. He ended up getting demoted because I went to the board and I went. Um, I took it as far as I could go. Even though I lost my job before, you know, I took it to the board and everything, I did find out from my immediate supervisor that he got demoted. And he said, if it makes you feel any better, he said, I know you feel horrible about this. He said, I feel horrible about this. He said, because I told you to write the report. He said, and that's what we were supposed to do. He said, and it ended up backfiring and it hurts you. He said, but if it makes you feel any better, he went kicking and screaming all the way (laughs) when he got demoted. And I said, yay, yay. You know, because that was not right. How I got back in touch with Venus was with uh, this program. We met up at a program called Success is Our Future. She was one of the workers there. And I I didn't even think that she was there. You know, I was working there, you know, at the program. And next thing I know, I see this person coming towards me that was just so excited. <laughs> and And then she said, Oh my God, you don't even recognize me. You don't even remember me. And I said, Oh my God, it's you. It's you. And we just hugged and cried because I was like, Oh my God, how long has it been? You know, and I, I didn't realize that I was that close to her, but not realizing I was that close to her. And ever since then, it was like, You're never, never, never getting out of my grasp. You're never going to be away from me again, you know? So, yeah. So um, I worked with them. Um, the youth at, at, in that program and did interviews and, you know, watched them graduate. And 
she was a part of that too. You know, she was a part of that, you know, as probation officer and, you know, right. firsthand experience as being one of the kids in, you know, yeah, Tay. It's quite, yeah, it's quite you unusual, know? I would imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she is a major, major success. I'm very proud of her. I'm proud of her. That kid had more gumption than anybody I, I've ever seen, than most adults even. Right. So your your kids are, are grown now, right? Absolutely. <laughs> So now doing the work that you do, right, because you're still, because you're, you are actually working with adult clients now, right? In- yes, I'm working with adults. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, and I don't get one-on-one contact with them either. I would really love to do that, you know. Would that be true if it weren't for COVID or you're, it doesn't allow for it? Actually, no. COVID has nothing to do with that. My main uh, function is um, I work with the different agencies and programs and trying to ensure that uh, they're doing everything that they are supposed to do as far as providing services, you know, for our adult clients. Um, I work with a lot of different county agencies. I work with like DMH and ODR. ODR is Office of Diversion and Reentry. So they work with clients that are out of, you know, they're, they're justice, they call it, Justice involved. Justice involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clients. And so right. um, let's see who else. We work with a lot of county agencies that try to provide uh, services. Right. And I, from what I've heard and from what I've seen and, they, um, and from the, um, the research that I've done, there's a lot of systems at work and a lot of systems that fail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has that been your experience as well? Uh, yeah, there. You know, I think that I think that each agency has its pros and cons, its successes and failures. I think a lot of it deals with management. You know, I think that sometimes they're far removed from the groundwork. You know, the groundwork or that the actual people that are doing, as far as I'm concerned, is the hard work. I feel like a lot of those workers don't get the support that they need. You know, if if you're overwhelmed with the caseload, oh, my God, you know, for God's sake, hire more people because you cannot do uh, the best job that you can do if your caseload is too high or if you're overworked. Then you take the risk of uh, not doing the job at all and just, quote unquote, um, lying and, you know, writing reports that never happened and things like that. And then you take the even greater risk of kids falling through the cracks and being harmed, if not even killed. So um, that's a big thing to me. I don't just fault management, you know, but I also know that not only are some of the social workers and people that, you know, on the groundwork are, are overworked, there are those that really just don't care. They're in it, you know, for the money. You know, it's a job to them and that's it. And they'll write the report. Even though it didn't happen, they'll say they did the drive-by, although it didn't happen. And I've seen that. And it's really angered me because you're affecting people's lives. You're affecting families. How dare you? How dare you write a report that's false and it affects this family? I never really wanted to take kids from families unless it was absolutely necessary. You know, I remember on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve one time, um, one of my coworkers, this was at DCFS, one of my coworkers asked me would I go out and uh, remove children. It was Christmas Eve, for God's sake. And I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, and he was like, please, please come with me because uh, the woman was African-American 
And uh, she had beautiful children. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous. And uh, her kids were beautiful. She had a 13-year-old daughter. And then she had little stair steps. So she, I think she had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and an infant, a brand new infant. And uh, she, w- she had problems with substance abuse. She was doing really well. She had her kids. And uh, so she tested positive on a uh, random drug test. And we had to go out. Well, I didn't want to, but I went with my friend because he just did not want to go by himself. And so we, when we got to her house, the oldest one, the 13-year-old, she screamed when she saw us at the door and she said, not again. And she ran to her room because they had been taken from her before. So we, I was like, oh God, you know, oh God. Her house was immaculate. Her kids were well, well taken care of. She was a good mother. Her mistake was she went to a party and she was offered the, you know, substance she used. And it just so happened that her random drug test day was that day and she tested positive. So I can remember my my coworker begging with our, you know, our ADA, can we just wait until after Christmas because so these kids can open their presents and you know and he was like no he was just livid and we were saying we looked around and everything the kids didn't look like they were in harm's way he was like no he was adamant we had to take her kids at night I still still can visualize trying to peel those little little toddlers off of her leg off of her leg they were crying she was crying and begging us and I Right now, I still want to cry about that because it was just like, oh, my God, you know, oh, my God. That's what made me really want to um, question, do I really want to do this? (laughs) Do I really want to do this job? I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, how how can... But she did get her kids back. She did. Oh, good. I saw her months later. I saw her months later, and I saw her in a Walmart, and she had her kids, and I was like, oh, God, thank you. You know, thank you, thank you. She got her kids back, you know. But that was one of the most heart-wrenching things for me. Right, so how do you do the work that you do, Lori? Uh, Well, now it's a little bit easier because now I'm in adult probation. It's a little bit easier. But I do miss, I miss working with youth. I miss working with women, but it's hard. One of my family members, one time we were at a family reunion and she was... You know, she's never worked with the helping profession. She's she worked in insurance, you know, so she was a, a big supervisor in the insurance agency. And uh, she, you know, everybody was at this family reunion was bragging about what they do. You know, da, 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 I do this, I do this, I do that, da, da, da. And I didn't say anything. I wouldn't say anything. And so my niece's uh, husband looked at me. He was just watching me and he said, so, Lori, what do you do? Tell me about what you do. And I was like, oh. So I was telling them, you know, what I do, you know, and the domestic violence and social work and kids. And, and my niece said, oh, my God, how do you work with those people? I was so offended. I was so offended. I said, what do you mean those people? You know, I said, these people have been hurt. These people have dealt with a lot of different challenges and things that you have never had to experience and you could never possibly understand. You know, I said, I, I am really proud of the fact that I get to work with those people. <laughs> I was so mad. I was just 
angry, angry. And her husband just smiled at me, you know, and he just nodded his head because... Because he understood? Everybody. Yes, he understood. Yeah, he understood. Mm -hmm. He got it. He got it, you know. Um, Right. And, you know, Venus says that you saved her life. You know, I think she's far too... um, She's really sweet and too kind about that, you know, but I... I love her for saying that, you know, um, I would I would do it over again if I could with not only her, but every kid. You know, I, I really grieve the ones that ran away, that I lost touch with, you know, because I really want to know that they're OK. But I am so happy for Venus. She was kind of headstrong. She was a challenge a little bit, but she was a sweetheart. She was a sweetheart. She wanted I feel that she really always wanted to do the right thing. And I feel like she wanted to please. I feel like she wanted to please people. I feel like with me, and, and I could be wrong, but even though she's, she has kind of attested to that, she tried to please her mother in so many ways, trying to be good. She tried to be the good daughter. She tried to be the good sibling. She tried to be the good student. She tried in every way to please her mother. And it was to no avail because nothing was ever good enough. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I I couldn't even imagine. Um, Wow. You know, she, she did everything she could. But I think that she tried to do or be the good kid on the caseload. And she didn't have to do that because she was already good. Mm-hmm. She didn't have to try to be that. But I think that we clicked. We could talk. We could talk. And I listened. I did listen to her. You know, when she wasn't right, I would tell her, mm, okay, you know, <laughs> I, mm. right. I think you could have handled that differently, you know. And next time, what do you think about trying this? And she and she would first say, mm, because you know, my mother doesn't deserve that. No, no, I don't want to be nice to her because she doesn't deserve that kind of thing. I would say, would you just try it for me, you know? And and she would. She would try, you know. Um, so have you ever worked with any CASAs? Do you know anything about the program? Have you? I know, I know of people who have worked in CASA. It's not just here in California. You guys are all over, right? All over the country, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, the unusual part about the being a CASA volunteer is normally... You only have one one kid, ah. which yeah, which makes a big difference. And okay, also the casa is a volunteer position, so I can imagine it being every bit as challenging with one kid as you would with more. It's super super demanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although, but it's not the same as having you know thirty kids that you gotta keep track of. Um, but it's hard. I, I I know it's it's a challenge. You know, because you want. So much for that one. You want so much. It's almost like they're they're yours, <laughs> you know, and you want you want that. So I can see that being just as challenging. Right. Well, they're yours, but you don't have to take them home. <laughs> In fact, yeah, the same right. with you. You're not allowed to take them home. Right. Right. Although you you'd love to, but that, right, you can't. Right. Yeah, I I have certainly felt that. So what what is the one thing that people wouldn't know about you unless you told them? Well. This is a biggie. To me, it's a biggie. It's like um, the confidence and the everything that other people see in me, I definitely do not see in myself. I lack a lot of self-confidence. I just kind of run to the roar and do what I have to do anyway. But 
a lot of times I don't feel that, oh my God, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. When other people tell me, oh, you were fantastic. I don't like speaking in front of people. And with Tay, I had to all the time. Uh, I had to get up and give. Uh, I had to speak in front of the entire probation department, you know, for successes or future and in front of bureau chiefs and people like that. I feel very intimidated by those people in their positions by virtue of just them being in those positions, you know. Um, I wonder if the, if the fact that uh, you feel that you don't feel confident is what makes you able to listen so well to people. Uh, that could be because um, I definitely didn't feel heard as a kid. You know, I'm the youngest of yes. six. And so everybody was smarter. Everybody had done everything first. A lot of times one sibling was always trying to one up me and make me look bad. <laughs> she tried to get me in trouble all the Kids time. Kids do that. Yeah. And uh, I found out later that she resented that I was born. You know, because she said she was the baby until I came along. Yes. And I didn't even know that until we were adults. But I just knew that she was mean, you know, mean to me growing up. And she went out of her way to try to make me look bad, you know, in front of friends and family. That's probably it. Uh, My mother said something that was very, and to this day, I wrote it down. I typed it and I have it up on my bedroom wall. She, um, She said something about me. When my oldest was, I think she was like in the sixth grade, and my daughter had a Holocaust survivor for a teacher. She was a wonderful woman. And uh, her assignment was to go home and ask your grandparents what kind of child was your mother. And uh, I was cooking in the kitchen, and my mom was in the living room with, you know, with my oldest, you know, in elementary school. And I heard her ask my mother this, and I froze because I was like, oh my God, what is my mother going to say about me (laughs) to my daughter? What kind of kid I was? And my mother, she took a deep breath, like she would often do when she was thinking. And then she said, well, she was a hard kid to direct, but she knew where she was going. And she didn't know how to talk to us, but we didn't know how to listen. And I was like, oh my God, at that very moment, I realized she did understand me. She knew me. And uh, I had this newfound appreciation for her because I didn't think my mother understood me growing up. We didn't always see eye to eye. I never felt like I measured up. And when I went into the helping profession, I guess I just kind of felt like not only did I like it, but that's what I was good at. But um, I felt like people listened, you know, and I felt like I had something to say that was of interest to them. And um, they felt like it was important and they wanted to, they felt better about themselves after I kind of talked about me. You know, as I said, I was a, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. Um, uh, You know, it, it, I don't know. I guess people just really wouldn't know that I kind of lack the confidence to do some of the things that I'm asked to do every day because I do it. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> I would never have guessed that. Yeah, not in our, our few conversations so far. I would never have guessed that. You seem like a very bright woman, very caring woman with a lot of commitment and and um, a lot of capacity and a lot of confidence. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. I appreciate that. Um, 
I have, I know I have, um, I feel I have a lot to give still. When I retire, when I retire from probation, I know that I'm going to probably go back into some form of the helping profession. You know, I, I, domestic violence is, um, is a big one for me. Uh, Tay is a big one for me, you know, but I, I'm not sure, but I just know that I'll, I'll probably end up doing that. So you haven't, you haven't finished helping out? <laughs> no, no, that's still, that's my first love. And um, I really feel that that's where I can do my best. I think that the people that do the kind of work that you do often and the people that do the work that I do and others, it takes a huge toll often. It does. And, you know, I um, just recently, I guess, realized that um, I've made a lot of sacrifices. Um, I've had some losses, personal losses due to the work, but it was important to do the work and keep my own integrity. And uh, I don't know, I had to do what was um, right, even when it was uncomfortable to do so. And I've lost a lot of things because of that. But I I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't do it any differently because I have to live with myself. I have to live with myself. But yeah, I, I it took a toll. It definitely took a toll on on me. I want to thank you very much for talking to me today, Lori. My pleasure. I appreciate it. If you see something, say something. If you suspect that a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. And right now in COVID, reports of abuse and neglect are down by 50%. And that's not because it's not happening. It's because kids are not in school and their teachers and other adults, mandated reporters, aren't seeing them. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you're a kid in care and you want to know more about your sexual and reproductive health, you can go to fosterreprohealth.org. That's fosterreprohealth.org. And if you're an older kid in trouble, check out PennyLane.org. They offer a safe place for homeless and LGBTQ youth who need some help. And if you're a kid in care who wants a casa, you can ask for one. In Los Angeles, go to CasaLA.org. And anywhere else in the nation, go to NationalCasaGal.org. And you can get one. I want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful music, Eferisto. To hear more of her music, go to Spotify and Instagram at Christina Apostol. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-P-O-S-T-O. I know you want to. Her stuff is really great. And thanks to my audio producer extraordinaire, Marcos Campito. I'm glad I found you. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please rate us and hit subscribe.